Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Celtics Lab Podcast. This week it's going to be a little bit pared down as we prepare for Thanksgiving. And so to that end, our usual lead point guard host, Cam Tabatabai, is busy. He's doing some stuff prepping for Turkey Day. And so I am going to be uh, taking over as temporary guest host. It's me, Alex Goldberg. You know me, you love me. Uh, Going to be play, playing point for this one, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, um, we have uh, some stuff to cover with regard to the recent run that the Celtics have been on. Um, they are playing a little bit better, but uh, the schedule is getting a little bit more difficult as we head into this next stretch, starting with a big game against the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow, which I will be attending. And I'm pleased to welcome none other than my constant rock co-host, Justin Quinn, here to talk us through that. Justin, how are you today? I'm pretty good. Cameron's going to be mad at you for mispronouncing his name as Cam, but uh, since he mispronounces everyone else's name, I think it's only fair. Yeah, you know, I think we were kind of due for that, and I call him Cam on the basketball courts and in most other situations, so I'm just going to rock with that, and if he has a complaint, then, you know, he can play me in a game one-on-one, and we can settle it that way, or something like that. Anyway, so uh, let's kind of jump right into it. Um, The Celtics are rolling right now. They have won eight of their last 11 games, punctuated last night by a big win over the Houston Rockets, in which they had pretty kind of clear command of that game, basically from the beginning of the third quarter onwards. The wheels really fell off. And, you know, we do have to add a caveat that Houston is, as it stands right now, the worst basketball team in the NBA. So take it with a little grain of salt. They're they're really not playing well. But uh, we're going to break down some of these wins that the Celtics have been piling up and kind of what we're looking for for them going forward, what we're starting with now and uh, how that might develop. So, Justin, I'm going to swing it to you. We've now seen the Celtics beat the Lakers, the Bucks, admittedly a little shorthanded, the Heat, uh, and they've lost to some teams that are pretty good that are kind of surging, such as Chicago, Dallas, and Cleveland in this same stretch. But overall, the Celtics have been piling up more wins than losses, uh, which is a stark change from the beginning of the regular season this year when there were a lot of questions. You know, at one point, the Celtics were under 500 by a few games, and now they seem to have at least temporarily righted the ship. What has changed about this team? Well, a couple of things have changed, really. It's been kind of a a gradual change, a work in progress, if you will, which is not that unexpected given it is, you know, the start of a new regime with the Celtics, you know, not to keep beating that drum, but it's true. You know, Ime Adoka is a new coach. He's dealing with some longstanding problems with the Celtics. And when you look at what he has managed to do in terms of defense, he has lived up to the billing of you know, his reputation as a defensive-minded coach. The offense in particular has been the most important piece recently over the last three or four games. uh, It's really come together. And mainly through Jason Tatum starting to hit the shots that he has been missing, uh, kind of finding his way, learning how to get the calls. Uh, He's getting to the line uh, about as much as any of the stars who have, you know, significantly relied on getting free throws to kind of pad their stats. So it seems that he has found a way to work the contact in a way that is going to be successful to helping him score for the Celtics, which is absolutely huge, but way more important than that has been his accuracy shooting. 
you know, not just from like the three-point range, but also those incredibly annoying uh, ISO fadeaway jumpers that he loves to do. Uh, I can't harp on him anymore because he's hitting them. So really, I think that that is the biggest single thing. And then we can now add into the mix, obviously, that Jason, excuse me, Jason, Jalen Brown is back, not fully healthy, which we should discuss a little bit more uh, later on, but really this team is starting to look a lot more like the team we expected to see probably maybe even a little too early. Yeah, I I agree with that for the most part. Jason's shot profile largely hasn't changed from where it was at the beginning of the season. The reality is that, you know, we we've said it before on this podcast, but to some degree, the NBA is a make or miss league. And right now Jason is making the shots that he was missing earlier When he makes those shots, it unlocks a lot of different things for the Celtics offense, and it makes them a much more deadly team. That being said, you know, and obviously Jalen Brown was spectacular in limited minutes in his return last night. There was a point in which he had 10 points in 65 seconds, which was pretty impressive, as well as a ridiculous Tracy McGrady style up and under finish through contact at the rim. It was really, really impressive. So that's always nice to see that even if Jalen is maybe not feeling 100% that he's still capable of delivering something for the offense. But there is something that I've kind of noticed in watching, particularly these last few games, um, which is that in addition to Jason Tatum playing better, the Celtics bench has looked a lot better uh, as an offensive group. And in particular, I think Ime Udoka is starting to find out which of the bench guys he can really trust versus which ones he still has some issues with. Uh, In particular, two guys have really stood out to me. Obviously, Dennis Schroeder has been really good lately um, and primarily as a starter. So I almost have him kind of lumped in. Like I, I feel like this happens with the Celtics and has happened a few times now where it's like, it's really a starting six more than it is a starting five. Like Schroeder is such a high volume, high usage bench guy that he's almost a six starter. But the bench guys in particular that I've noticed have really stepped up uh, are two much maligned Danny Ainge draft picks who are finally starting to get some rhythm. I'm of course talking about Grant Williams and Romeo Langford who both looked really good in this recent stretch. Uh, In particular, in the last couple of games, I think Romeo has really made an impact. I mean, he's been decent scoring, but what he's mainly made an impact on is just offensive rebounding, getting hustle plays, um, moving the ball, and then attacking the rim when he needs to. I feel like Romeo is kind of settling into this glue guy role that is working well for him. And Grant Williams, you know, a lot of people... Uh, last year kind of gave up on Grant Williams and a lot of people had some pretty real questions about him heading into this year. Obviously there was a lot of noise about how he cut a lot of weight in the off season and uh, was looking forward to kind of being a little bit faster and leaner. And so far that's borne out. Grant Williams is shooting a career best from three and has become one of the Celtics more reliable perimeter threats, which is not something that we really would have expected from a guy that missed his first, what, like 28 attempts from three in the league. Grant has actually become a pretty reliable shooter. There's definitely still some limitations to his game. His game, obviously, Grant is small for his position, and there's going to be nights where that size matchup, that size difference is just a little bit too much for him to overcome. But he's starting to kind of settle into this tweener combo forward role 
as a bench guy that I think has really provided an important boost for the Celtics offense and for their floor spacing. There's a couple other guys that I want to shout out. You know, obviously I, I am one of the bigger critics and I've had many issues with Ennis Cantor's play in the past. He has played well in this most recent stretch uh, in limited minutes. You know, he's doing Ennis Cantor things. He's scoring around the rim. He's getting put back offensive rebounds that may or may not be from his own mislaps, but you know, he's, he's doing the dirty work. He's doing Ennis Cantor stuff. But for the most part, I think one thing that's really stood out to me is that uh, Ime is starting to figure out the guys that he can trust more so than anything, which I think is helping a lot with this team and with their rotations and their general consistency. He also has expanded his trust, if you will, to a wider circle of Celtics. Maybe he's been seeing some improvement in practice. You know, it's really hard to say with the level of access that we have. In this COVID era, uh, and particularly, you know, us in particular, seeing as I'm always uh, here in Mexico, but, you know, it was very nice to see Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Nismas get some, get some time. You know, a lot of that had to do with the blowout, but to see uh, Aaron sink two back-to-back baskets on consecutive plays was really, really nice to see. And I do have to agree with you. Enos has definitely been uh, impressing in ways I did not expect. And even against matchups that weren't necessarily so favorable, such as against the Rockets, there, were, there wasn't anyone really for him to go up against. But they were so small that he was able to kind of leverage that. Uh, particularly, it's hard to say they're worse players because they're all kind of bad. Sorry, Tice, on this team, it doesn't really help your game very much. Um, but seeing Tice out there had me wondering uh, – you know, if they are trying to get rid of him as bad as they are reportedly interested in doing to open up uh, some minutes for Sengun. Sorry about that. My cat's got a little bit uh, animated. Um, if they are trying to get rid of Sengun or trying to get rid of Sengun, trying to get, rid, get some minutes for Sengun. Sorry, I'm a little rattled from that. Uh, much like uh, Sengun was playing against Celtics. Uh, then I would really like to see, you know, maybe a nice lightly protected second rounder if they really do want to get rid of Tice. I, I think he would be a really good fit on this team and some some actually playable uh, depth for when we experience inevitable health problems as we have seen so far with Robert Williams. I mean, I would love to think that we aren't going to see them again, but um, I think we are going to. And to that end, we should probably talk about the state of the sea's health. So um, based on kind of what we've seen, uh, obviously, Rob, you know, he's back after a kind of prolonged absence. Um, Jalen Brown says he still doesn't quite feel right. Um, but this is this roster. I mean, obviously, Josh Richardson was out last night. Uh, but uh, I think that most people, from what I've heard, say that that's going to be a pretty short lived absence, that he should be back relatively soon, if not tomorrow. Um, so given that health issues have already plagued the seas early on in this season and that we, you know, have a history with this team, uh, particularly some of these guys like Rob, Jalen, Marcus have spotty injury histories to say the least. How worried should we be about the Celtics health at this point? Well, with Jalen, I think the fact that he post-game was really, really emphasizing to the surprise of a lot of people really, that he didn't feel 100% and that he was going to be, you know, being very careful with it moving forward, trusting in the medical staff and taking their advice. There is a non-zero chance that uh, he is not playing against Brooklyn. And if he does play against Brooklyn, he might only play a very limited role. And as much as we would love to, you know, really take it to them, particularly without Kyrie Irving, 
it may not be the best decision for him to play big minutes against the against the Nets. Uh, I actually think that they should kind of keep him, so to speak, in bubble wrap until the end of the season because that's when we really want to see him at full health. I mean, we we got to see how much fun it is to not have Jalen Brown at the last postseason Celtics played in, and well, surprise, surprise, it didn't go very well. Same kind of a thing with Robert Williams to a lesser extent. Uh, I'm more confident than most in his health. He hasn't missed that much time, but I mean. They're all lower body injuries. They're all uh, big man lower body injuries. And when you put those things together, it's a little scary. And considering that it's going to be really hard for this team to contend without him, at least as an available starter, if not better than that, uh, they do need to be careful moving forward, particularly in the, the, the big, you know, glut of games that are about to, to womp the Celtics. I mean, we can talk about that in a second as well, but things are about to get really, really tough for Boston. For sure. Yeah. So I think health wise, I definitely agree that the priority has to be maintaining Jalen's health, even if it means me paying, you know, hundreds of dollars to see the Celtics play the Brooklyn Nets and Jalen doesn't actually play. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they manage his minutes going forward because Jalen and, you know, Ime kind of mentioned this on the uh, ahead of the Lakers game. Jalen really wants to be out there. Like he really, really cares about being out there on the floor for this team. I think that he views himself rightfully so as a really important piece to this team's ultimate success. And I don't think that anybody would argue that the Celtics are much, much, much better when Jalen Brown is on the floor versus when he's not. That being said, uh, I do think that Ime and the coaching staff have kind of taken the right approach of really trying to stop Jalen from himself in some ways. Hamstring injuries are notoriously kind of tricky and lingering. You know, last year, to bring up a kind of relevant example, we saw James Harden deal with nagging hamstring issues for basically the whole season. And, uh, you know, there were spurts where he would play through it and he would look like James Harden and he would be great. But ultimately, you know, the Nets lost James Harden in the most important series of their season. And when they brought him back, he was a complete shell of himself, clearly not ready to play. Uh, And that thing, that hamstrings matter a lot with regard to kind of how the Celtics can approach that. One thing to keep in mind is that with regard to Robert Williams, I think it's definitely concerning to me, just given the amount of injuries he's had, uh, that he's already kind of accumulating some dings and dents. The Celtics' big depth, especially if Cantor is playable, is a little bit better at that position. Um, I, so I'm, I'm kind of less worried about that one, particularly because I think in a weird way, Tatum and Cantor actually have some really good chemistry. Uh, Cantor operating as a screen setter for Tatum has been a pretty effective play for this offense. Yeah, if you want to jump in. Yeah, check in with me in a couple of games about that, that Enos presence, because these are going to be, apart from the Philly games coming up, a lot of teams that aren't so great for him to play against and that will torch him uh, in, in terms of being a defender, even on their second unit. So I am a little concerned about the big man depth. I don't think that they need to go out and like, I think Tice would be a luxury. I, I do think they either need to, to get Bruno Cabo, Cabo, Bruno, Caboclo, Bruno Fernando, excuse me, uh, some minutes uh, with, playing with the main guys just to see how he's going to do, because if not, they need to move him 
uh, or someone on this roster for a big who can play at least some limited minutes who will not get absolutely roasted on defense. They don't need to score. The team doesn't really need any more scoring. Even with Jalen Brown out, they have enough to get by uh, with Dennis Schroeder and even Marcus Smart stepping up into a slightly bigger role, uh, particularly with the bench playing a little bit better in that regard lately. But they absolutely do need some other defensive stopper. I mean, Grant Williams can kind of fill in in a pinch, but I mean, at some point he kind of becomes as exploitable by bigs as you would see in the reverse with Enos and, and guards. So I am a little concerned about that. That is why I brought up Tice. Um, I do think that they're going to be able to bring that up. And in mid-December, when, when the signed contracts of the summer become movable, I do think we're going to see some movement around the edges, if not big moves. I, I think uh, there's some interesting players that we could talk about in a future episode uh, who sound like they might be available. Uh, Darren Fox might be one of them. But for now, I think that if we do see any moves, it's going to be people who can play a little bit more than some of the deeper rotation guys like the the, the Juancho Hernan Gomez's, the Jabari Parkers. I love them. I love the narrative. I love their potential flexibility in the case of Juancho for, you know, shedding salary or including a trade that might be attracted to another team. But we are about to get, as I alluded to earlier, gobsmacked with the difficulty. Like this is basically, we are, we are on the precipice of the hardest part of the, the season for the Celtics and they're going to be exposed where their weaknesses are, and they might be able to survive against some of these teams, but against the best of the best, they're going to get their butts kicked. Yeah, and to that end, we should probably talk about that. So obviously, we've got the much ballyhooed playoff revenge matchup uh, tomorrow against Brooklyn. That is, you know, a huge game that I'm sure both of these teams, well, at least the Celtics, have circled on their calendars for certain then after that, some of the teams that we're going to be playing in December, this really is a gauntlet. You've got Philadelphia, Utah, Portland, the Lakers again, the Clippers, Phoenix, who is on a roll right now. Milwaukee is getting healthy, and Giannis Antetokounmpo is maybe the outright best player in the NBA. If not him, it might also be Steph Curry, who we're going to have to play against in Golden State, potentially with a healthy Clay Thompson by then. Uh, we've also got the Knicks. We've got Philly again. Um, this is going to be a really, really tough stretch. <clears throat> and so to that end, uh, JQ, I'm wondering, what are some things that the Celtics as currently constructed should be looking to really emphasize going into this stretch, knowing that we're going to come up against some really high quality opponents here? Well, they definitely need to figure out who can help them off of their bench. They really, really need to isolate that in a hurry because they're going to face a lot of pressure, I think, unless we are pleasantly surprised by the fan base. When we come out of this, if we are still at 500, this team is doing really well because from there on, you know, January is still hard, but it's not this hard. And then after that, the, the schedule becomes much, much easier. So as long as they can survive this coming month, uh, I think they're going to be in good shape, but they are going to need to figure out who they have on the roster. And it's going to be a really hard balancing act for Ime Adoka to balance trying to win with trying to see who can help because you're going to have to see who can't help <laughs> in that process. So uh, I don't envy his position. Just I'm, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here again, but if you looking at the kind of gauntlet of teams that uh, are coming up, you had to pick out some games that you would really like the Celtics to win in that stretch. Which ones would you be looking at? Like, these are the games the Celtics should definitely prioritize. 
Well, we praised Philadelphia in the first and last game of the next 10 game stretch that you mentioned. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be in a position to be whatever Philly looks like by the end of that stretch, because by then trades will be available. Then we may see Simmons moved and Ben Simmons, and we may see them kind of, you know, amped up a bit. But right now, Embiid is out, and so I think it's our best chance to get a win over Philly in that first game of the 10-game stretch. Uh, Portland hasn't been playing so great, so I think that they are a more likely win. The Lakers seem like a, a plausible win, possibly the Clippers. But they have been playing way better than people have been expecting under Paul George kind of as like the focal point of the team. He really seems to be relishing that. Uh, the Bucks might still be beatable. Uh, I don't think we have too much chance against the Warriors, the way they've been playing. But you never know. That's a game that we always seem to to rise to the uh, the challenge of. And then maybe uh, I think there is a pretty good chance that we might be able to beat the Knicks in our rematch of the opening, the season opener. Uh, but again, that that Philly, whatever Philly looks like at the end of that stretch. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a different team, even if they just haven't beat back. Yeah. And, you know, for what it's worth with Philly, I mean, Tyrese Maxey has been lighting it up as their starting point guard. And in general, I think Philly is doing better than a lot of people, myself included, projected them to be doing uh, in light of the ongoing Ben Simmons saga. Obviously, the Warriors are kind of the the top dog in this group right now. They look like pretty clearly the best team in the Western Conference but, you know, to that end, one of the only people who's kind of been able to consistently not give Steph Curry trouble, but at least make him work uh, harder is Marcus Smart. Uh, for whatever reason, the Celtics seem to really play up to a competition against the Warriors. So it'll be interesting. Any predictions of the kind of stretch that we have listed out here? What do you, what do you think for how the Celtics are going to fare in this stretch? We've got, let's see, one, two, three... It's 10. Yep. Yep. So, so let's, let's get a prediction on record 10 in these 10 games. What are we looking at? I think that if you count the Brooklyn game, I think there's a Cleveland rematch. Somebody we were playing, I forget who we're playing in, in the interim between Brooklyn and the rest of these games. But if you count the 11, the 11 games, I think it's going to be uh, five wins, six losses. I'm not sure which are going to be which because the, the, the Celtics really love to play up and really stink at playing down. There's not too many down opportunities on this, this stretch. So I think it's going to be just under 500 overall, but I think that the team will still be at or just above 500 at the end of it. Yeah. Well, if just under 500 is what we wind up with, I have to say, I feel reasonably okay about that. Given the quality of competition, we can even get to slightly over 500. That sets the Celtics up really well. So we'll see. Big upcoming stretch for the Seas. I will be in the garden tomorrow with some friends to watch them take on the Brooklyn Nets in what is sure to be a fascinating and compelling game, Jalen Brown or no Jalen Brown. We will see. Anything else that we want to cover here in this kind of new section before we move on? No, I think that's just about it. Uh, we've got a very very intense slate of games coming and an even more intense holiday where we'll be spending some time with family and we all know that that can be either you know just the thing or just the thing you need to run to the bar to to get away from uh, nice and full of yummy food all y'all enjoy it without me as most of you know and for those of you who don't i'm telling you we don't celebrate that here in mexico so i will be looking on in envy at some pumpkin pie and hopefully the win over the brooklyn nets 
Take care, y'all. For Saatchi Wellness, this is Eloquist Radio. Spot title NVAF What's Next 60 Radio. Add a DPFEQ 3006000, length 30 seconds, mixed at Harbor on March 1st, 2023. I can't wait for what's next. Even with higher stroke risk due to atrial fibrillation, in a regular heartbeat not caused by a heart valve problem. Eliquis, the Pixaban tablets, reduces stroke risk. It's the number one cardiologist prescribed blood thinner. Don't stop taking prescription Eliquis without talking to your doctor, as this may increase your risk of stroke. Eliquis can cause serious and in rare cases fatal bleeding. Don't take Eliquis if you have an artificial heart valve, abnormal bleeding, or have antiphospholipid syndrome. While taking, you may bruise more easily or take longer for bleeding to stop. A spinal injection while on Eliquis increases risk of blood clots, which may cause paralysis, the inability to move. Get medical help right away for unexpected bleeding or unusual bruising, or if you have tingling, numbness, or muscle weakness. It may increase your bleeding risk if you take medicines such as aspirin products, NSAIDs, SSRIs, SNRIs, and blood thinners. Tell your doctor about all planned medical or dental procedures. Learn more at Eliquis.com or call 1-855-ELIQUIS.